you name the fund, a lot of the PMs or the GPs or whatever, they wrote personal checks to this company, but they weren't able to invest out of the fund. And to me, that was just like a part of my friend. It was just such a mind fuck, right? I'm like, so you're allowed to do this, but your investors that you represent can't get into the deals that you think are great, right? Like what? And I just kept hearing it over and over and over again about this vice clause. And I was like, what the fuck is a vice clause, right? Like, what is this that people put money around? So with lots of research and like, I would follow up at the interview and be like, hey, like you said one thing that really caught my interest. Can you please explain what a vice clause is? And I got around a dozen funds to basically tell me what the vice clause said. So I saw that it was, it was for cannabis. It was for nicotine. It was for alcohol. It was sex tech, like ketamine, psychedelics, like any of the categories that I thought would have explosive growth and exits based on historical performance, they couldn't invest in. You're listening to To Be Blunt, the podcast for cannabis marketers, where your host, Shada Taravi, and her guests are trailblazing the path to marketing, educating, and professionalizing cannabis. Light one up and listen up. Here's your host, Shada Taravi. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. My name is Shada Tarabi, and I'm so happy you're tuning into another episode of To Be Blunt. If you've been listening along, today's episode is slightly different, and I'll explain why. I'm so excited to be releasing a previously recorded interview I did with Catherine Dockery, the founding partner of Vice Ventures, a seed stage venture capital fund conquering stigmas and striving towards superior returns by investing in good companies operating in bad industries. I was asked by the VC Summit to interview Catherine about her company, and specifically, we dove into investing in the cannabis space. One of Catherine's premier portfolio clients is nationally recognized CBD sparkling water brand Recess, and in our interview, we unpack what seed investing is, why you might or might not need outside funding for your canna brand, and a few of the craziest business ideas that have come across Catherine's desk. So without further ado, let's dive right in and welcome Catherine to the show. A lot of startup companies have different rounds of funding. Some of them start with a pre-seed, which usually means before a product or before a deck, and it's usually a friends and family round. And then there's the seed, right? Where you actually have the product, you know who you're hopefully selling to, you have some type of product market fit, and you're ready to go to market. And that's when we kind of dive in. We work very, very closely with our founders. We help them get um, anywhere from distribution to figuring out, I don't know how to say this without putting the company on blast, (laughs) like like an esports thing, right? Like if you have a problem with that, then like we will also like hold your hand and get to you where you want to be, get you hopefully to your series A and at least to your series B. So it sounds like you're specifically working with companies who already have their kind of idea concept and they're ready to pour some gasoline and grow. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. That's exactly where I want us to dive in. So let's start with who are you? How did you get into VC? Why founding Vice Ventures? I want the whole kind of the story behind it. So I grew up in the West Village of Manhattan of New York State. My dad was a bartender. So I grew up literally paying three card Monty on the bar. And this guy Ernesto who flipped the burgers would take me home and put me to bed. That was honestly my childhood. (laughs) Then I went to NYU, where I studied a combination of neuroscience and finance. And I worked basically the entire time on the floor of the New York Stock Exchange. I loved it. Honestly, one of the best jobs I've had to date. 
And when I was down there, this is when I was still studying neuroscience, I realized that there was a huge connection between the equity markets and why they moved based on human behavior, right? <laughs> so basically from there, I decided to write a blog called Dockery's Daily Docket. I woke up at 4.30 every morning for two years in a row to write it. I was super popular. I had so many friends. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's basically my, my backstory. My first job out of college was trading high yield debt at Citigroup, which I hated, to be honest. And I was say super sexy things you're doing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Like some of these jobs that you take out of school, you just kind of like learn more about yourself than you do about the asset class, right? Yeah. So I learned that I was a very sensitive person when it comes to loud noises and people screaming at me. That was a no go for me. So anyway, so I quit after my second bonus use my bonus to make the first personal investment for me in the equity and um, private equity. Um, and it was in a canned wine business that did really well, got distribution really quickly. Like the founder had a vision and she like, she acted on the vision anyway. And that's when I was working for the founder of Bonobos and that's how I found the deal. Anyway, like flash forward when I was working for Andy Dunn and managing the portfolio of private investments, Walmart bought Bonobos, right? And my job was to manage these private investments and he was no longer allowed to make those investments because uh, it would be a conflict of interest. So then I followed him to Walmart. And as somebody who grew up in New York City and I've never been to a Walmart before, let me tell you, going to Bentonville, Arkansas is really, it's it's eye-opening. <laughs> it is. <laughs> it's eye-opening. But if you can imagine, they have medicinal marijuana in Arkansas. Yes, they do. Um, yes, they do. Yes, I would be surprised if any of them, any of them were near um, Walmart headquarters, but <laughs> there actually is one. There is oh, really? one I just interviewed for my, my podcast. Yeah, the source, if I can make a plug for them. So there's some interesting stuff happening in Arkansas, despite the Walmart headquarters being there. Oh, interesting. I mean, that you just expanded my whole mind on Arkansas. Sorry. That's Arkansas. what we're here to do. <laughs> I love it. Expanding minds. Anyway, yeah. So I didn't really want to do that job. I followed Andy because I had a lot of respect for him. But then after basically six weeks, like I just realized like M&A was not something that I was interested in or passionate about whatsoever, especially corporate M&A. I mean, while that is important and like as a seed stage investor, I do definitely rely on corporate M&A, right? But for me, it's not something I wanted to spend my future in. So I told Andy, Andy Dunn, and he was like, you know what? Like, I totally get it. He's like, you should go and interview at consumer venture firms. He was like, I think you could do really well there. So I was like, Okay. So I just cold emailed a lot of the GPs at these funds. And I was like, hey, I'm looking for a job. Like, this is specifically why I think I might be good for like X, Y, and Z fund. I would always get an interview and they all asked me to pitch a business. So then I ended up pitching this canned wine company. And they're like, you know, and Founders Fund, a few months later, fast forward, it ended up leading their seed, right? So it was a big deal. And it was ridiculous. Like, you name the fund, a lot of the PMs or the GPs or whatever, they wrote personal checks to this company, but they weren't able to invest out of the fund. And to me, that was just like a part of my friend. It was just such a mind fuck, right? I'm like, so you're allowed to do this, but your investors that you represent can't get into the deals that you think are great, right? Like what? And I just kept hearing it over and over and over again about this vice clause. And I was like, what the fuck is a vice clause, right? Like, what is this that people put money around? So with lots of research and like I would follow up at the interview and be like, hey, like you said one thing that really caught my interest. Can you please explain what, what a vice clause is? And I got around a dozen funds to basically tell me what the vice clause said. So I saw that it was it was for cannabis. It was for nicotine. It was for alcohol. It was sex tech, like ketamine, psychedelics, like any any of the categories that I thought would have explosive growth and exits based on historical performance. They couldn't invest in. 
so then I had this realization where I was like, wait, like if all of these top tier funds that people love and they follow and they hop in the rounds just because they're in the rounds, right? Can't invest in the seed stages of these businesses or the pre-seed. I was like, there's a huge opportunity for us, right? Huge opportunity for a fund to do that. And we started getting like the more people I've reached out to, I was like, Hey, I'm so sorry. Like not taking this job. I'm doing this instead. Like, Hey, so sorry, whatever. So all these funds started sending us seed stage vice deals. Right. And that was the way that I really identified that like a lot of these companies struggled so much, like so much to get funding in the beginning, but then they take off. Right. It's like a great example. I swear this isn't a natural plug. I really just drink this all day long, but recess, right. Great example couldn't raise money in the beginning, like it was incredibly difficult. And now it's like one of the hottest companies out there, right? So that's kind of the thesis of the fund. No, I appreciate that backstory because I think it's important for people to kind of understand not only your journey, but to really frame it in the capacity of like where these vice industries and specifically for this conversation, because it's my industry too, is cannabis. Just a small kind of like tidbit of a story for reference. I had a friend say she posts on Instagram. She's an influencer and she was posting, you know, make sure you register your business if you're an entrepreneur and you have a new idea. And I commented, you know, and get a website, you know, just kind of adding value. And she's like, did you register your business? And I go, fun fact, you cannot trademark a cannabis brand right now. And it's a big deal, but it's such a subtle deal that most people as they're going into this industry don't realize all the different roadblocks that they might run into. And so I think investing is one of those other areas where you just assume like you acknowledged hey this industry is is very exciting it's very fast moving okay i have a good idea maybe a good product packaging i want to take it to market now pour some gasoline on it to invest these traditional vc firms are not able to actually be investors and it just kind of creates i think a roundabout way for people to really take advantage of the benefits that funding can help a business so what was the deciding factor for you, I guess, in opening it? Why not? Like, did you did you decide that you were going to open an investment firm or did you just have a client first? Was it kind of like the right timing? Because I read your bio, you're fairly young. And I know that that's a point in your story that you kind of highlight. I know there's a lot of naysayers being a woman, being young. It sounds like being in vice, there's a lot of things kind of fighting against you. But, you know, for maybe people listening, if they're like, hey, I would like to start a fund or I'd like to start a VC firm. Like, what does that even look like? How did you start it? That's a phenomenal question. So let me start off by saying that I have the most supportive husband in the world and he will do whatever it takes to support my dreams, including working a job he's not like super in love with. (laughs) Right. To like make sure that I he's the best. He's literally so great. Anyway, so then. I quit Walmart, right? And I quit to start this fund. And like to get a trademark, you can't work where you're working, right? Because all of a sudden, like any intellectual property that you develop, like becomes your parent company, right? So I kind of had to quit somewhat abruptly because I knew that I was going to get this trademark. And like that to me was how I was going to start the fund. So then from there, I mean, fast forward a few months after doing the deck, I just started thinking for fundraising. I was like, I don't come from a family that has money, right? Like I can't just call my uncle and be like, hey, like introduce me to like, everybody at your country club, right? Like that's not really something I can do. So for me, I just sat there and I thought, and I was like, who is the richest and most brilliant and most powerful investor that I could possibly find? And I thought about it. I like, I actually gave it like significant thought. And I was like, oh, Mark and Jason, duh. Like, why didn't I think of this like two days ago, right? One of my friends gave me his email. I cold emailed him and it's going to sound crazy that I remember this, but at 1.42 in the morning, he responded and with two other two other partners that were on the email, and he was like, "I love this. Like, this is brilliant. Like, blah blah." And I was just like, 
oh my god like he thinks it's a good idea i was like really <laughs> at this point i was still like on the like i was doing it full time but i like didn't really know like if it would get any traction and yeah and then i forwarded the email to my lawyer and i was like i guess i'm meeting mark and jason and he was like because <laughs> he kind of took me on because i was 25 at the time when i met him and he took, he's a big, he's a very high powered lawyer. I found out. I did not know this when I reached out to him. He had a beard and he was from Southern California. And I was like, oh, like this is, this is my dude, right? Like totally it. And anyway, yeah. And it, like I forwarded him and he was like, wow, like, I guess we like got to write the LPA then. And I'm like, yeah, let's write it. <laughs> you got the yes. It started the ball rolling. And yeah. Here you are. Yeah. How many clients do you have under your portfolio currently? So we have eight portfolio companies. All of which we love very dearly. We actually host community nights for a lot of our founders, uh, just because everybody, despite them growing like adjacent industries, um, they actually have a lot of overlap, right? Like, like vice distribution, like is kind of one of the same, right? Or like vice marketing, like usually like I have trouble advertising, right? So like PR is like a great way to go or like anyway. And like, actually one of our founders is subletting space from one of our other founders, (laughs) Right. And like that all happens on community night. Right. So those are something that we try to host every month, if not every two months. That's so great. I want to kind of touch on and dive into that, that community night idea. Is that something that your firm offers to your clients that you see maybe other firms are not offering or what differentiating points do you offer for your clients? Maybe there's none. Maybe it's just, Hey, we can support you because your advice you know, business? Or are there other things that you find that you're able to kind of help them because you have this community? Yeah. So I would say that one of the two most important people in the community is my analyst, Aaron Runner, and my chief of staff, Zoe Oasis. Vice Ventures definitely would not be as far as it is now without a very, very strong team, right? Um, And then when it comes to what we offer founders, uh, we tend, we find ourselves in a very lucky situation where we're not really fighting for deals. Just because we offer great distribution, we offer true partnership, we work very, very closely with our founders. We, In some cases, we help them actually build the deck. So for us, it's much more of like building this like somewhat like, like it might sound really corny, but like a family-like community, right? Where everybody is like working together and like asking each other questions. And even some of our LPs will come in and be like, hey, like I'd love to talk to this company. Like I just started talking to like Costco, for example, right? And Costco really wants to carry this product. Like, is it okay if we connect? And I'm like, yeah, of course, right? So we've built a very collaborative environment with our founder community and our LP community. And I think that speaks volumes, right? So like when founders, for example, they ask us, what do you do for us? We don't even answer. Like we just connect them with one of our other founders and like it found that to be a much more, a better use of everybody's time, right? Because then the other founder is also kind of interviewing that founder, right? And see like if they like that person and it's, it's like a whole thing. Yeah. I hope that answers your question. No, that totally answered it. And I guess for me, maybe for people listening too, I always like to kind of connect the dots and also follow on the cross, so to speak of like, full disclosure, you know, I've been in business and cannabis professionally in Texas for two years. I formerly before this was a director of marketing for a digital agency. And prior to that, I was actually at one of Austin's very top fast growing tech startups. So I was with them for six years, went through a couple rounds of funding, but originally they were bootstrapped. So I witnessed kind of that aspect of kind of startup life and growing a business and growing a brand. For our company, we are still bootstrapped. So I have no investors. It's essentially like a family fund, which is exciting. Um, I know the power of getting investment, but also obviously there is some trade-off. 
So I kind of want to dive into that for people to kind of understand, you know, obviously there's a lot of positives. Maybe you can highlight the positives and maybe what some of the, I don't want to call them drawbacks, but the realities, like I'm sure the terms are different with every client that you bring in, but obviously you're, someone is giving up part of their business so that you can have ownership. You can sit on a board position, kind of walk me through that. If that's a fair question to ask. That's a totally fair question. Um, I would say that most businesses um, aren't meant to be venture funded at all. And I think it's really underrated to have a business that you personal, you put your own personal capital in if you're able to do that and you grow it that way. Right. (laughs) And you actually like make money off of the revenue that will eventually be generated. And when somebody comes to buy the business, if you, they buy the business, it's all yours. Right. So you're getting the entirety of the check. One thing that I can say about bootstrapping is that like you don't necessarily have the same resources as somebody who took 5 million from a fund that is like known for beverage, right. Or is known for cannabis or whatever. You have to be like, I think like a pretty autodidactic human as well as being incredibly motivated. Right. Uh, I mean, I would say the same traits would apply to somebody who does get venture bounding as well. I just think it's like more highlighted on somebody who bootstraps. Right. Um, and then when it comes to venture funding, like, I mean, the pros are that like you have more capital to scale your business faster. Right. And like, who doesn't want to do that? Right. If you can, if you're able to do that, it makes sense for your business, then it it makes a lot of sense. But I mean, the bad part obviously is that you're going to dilute your ownership, right. By raising more capital, like by nature, like that's exactly like what is going to happen. Um, and you have to realize if you're okay with that. I've spoken to some founders who have put ridiculous valuations on their businesses because they don't want to lose their ownership. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> right? Like, I'm like, no, like, I'm not going to like, we're not going to invest in ridiculous valuations. Like either like do the venture funding route or don't do the venture funding route. Right. But I guess those would be like my comments on bootstrap first venture funding. No, that's fair. And I think uh, I watch a lot of Shark Tank. So maybe that says a, a little or a lot about me. And I'll always remember Mark, Mark Cuban's always like, he's like, do you want a little bit of a pie? Or do you want, you know, a bigger piece of this pie? And it's like, well, maybe I should go get funding because then the pie's bigger. And even if I got a little bit of it, I still have a bigger piece of pie than if I'm, you know, growing it myself, which to your point, I appreciate the candidness because I do think at least for my audience, when it comes to cannabis marketing and and strategy and growing a business in this space, it's obviously very sexy to get into cannabis. It's like the green rush. Everybody's like, Ooh, I I mean, even having a retail, people come into my shop and they're like, Ooh, this looks fun. I'm going to open a CBD dispenser. I'm like, good luck. Very much. Good luck to you. Just because there's so many hurdles and you kind of, you know, alluded to some of them too, which is, I think a cool aspect of having a fund that is in a, Obviously, it makes sense. You'd want to go work or uh, be invested in by a firm that has uh, familiarity with your industry because they can help add value. Like you said, the other founders can kind of learn from each other. Ooh, how are you getting around this advertising? What platform are you using to sell online? But I think from my perspective, you do have a lot of people who see an opportunity to get into cannabis and then they just assume like, oh, if I have this idea, someone's just going to want it and they're going to buy it. And it's like, Yeah, but how you market it, how you go get funding, how you set your platform up, those are all very real big question marks. I think that the industry is still trying to navigate, which kind of leads me to my next question, if I can poke a little bit, because I was having this conversation last night with some friends and cannabis and CBD in particular, cannabis is not federally legal, but CBD is federally legal. And even though we have some of these discrepancies, even though CBD is federally legal, so let's bring up like recess as an example, because I know they're your portfolio client and you are drinking them. So let's kind of use them as an example. 
how do you vet them? How do you know what the products that they're pitching to you is not just a sexy, you know, uh, snake water in a can? How do you know that it has actually cannabis in it? Because from my knowledge, there's a lot of big brands out there that are coming up in reports now saying there's actually no CBD, but because yep. it's unregulated, anybody can get away with putting product in a bottle and essentially selling it. I could imagine as an investment firm, there's a lot of people who want you to invest in them, but I can imagine that what's actually in their product is not the true product. So how do you navigate that? How do you you know do your due diligence essentially? Yeah. So I guess I'll start with recess. I mean, it's a great example, right? Um, the first time I met with Ben Witte, who's the founder, uh, this was pre-product, like this was pre-seed, right? He didn't, I never tasted it. I went through a deck with him. I asked him basic questions on like what he thought. And then like all of a sudden, immediately I was like, he's going to win. And like, how did I know that? Because he he's a visionary and he has the ability to actually like execute and like create a plan for his vision. And a lot of founders you meet don't necessarily have that, right? Like they're great visionaries, but they like, they don't know how to like put the pieces together. Right. Hmm. So Ben, I was like, I, I told I'm backing this horse a hundred percent, like without question. And part of the reason also why we did it is another huge part of our diligence is because we're brand investors, we take brands super seriously, right? And if you think of recess, almost every American, I would bet a thousand dollars on it, right? They have taken a recess at least once in their lives, right? And I guarantee you, like they have very nostalgic for the times when they had like an hour of free time to like run around and play in a sandbox, right? Like who isn't nostalgic for that? So, yeah, so that's another reason why we backed Recess. It's something that we also look at. In addition to that, if it's not a pre-product company or if they have samples to give, we rarely take a meeting with a brand if they haven't given a sample uh, just because we need to do our own testing, right? We need to know, like, is this product, like, does it work? Like, <laughs> a lot of the products don't work, but you would be, like, totally surprised by, does it taste good? Do we, does the whole group think it tastes good? We all, like, our group is, like, very different taste, taste buds, I guess. So like, unanimously, like, do we think this is a good product, right, is another thing that we, like, big very, very, very seriously. And if we do get past the point of diligence with the company and we think we want to move forward, we send your product, basically, we ask you to send our product to, like, 20 different people, like, all over the country, right? And then we're like, okay, like, does this make sense? Like, do they like this? What areas is this more popular in? Or, like, whatever. This is something that we, like, very, very, like, we take it to the utmost seriousness is product. Because, like, a founder, like, if they came up with a good product, like, they probably know how to execute, right? And they probably know how to sell and raise money if they, if you're already, like, so late in the conversation with them, right? So that's, I guess, that's part of our diligence, for sure. No, that's helpful to understand just because I think so many people might have the vision, but then the product isn't there. And so sometimes... I wonder, obviously watching the market explode, I do think from my perspective, there's gosh, now probably over, I'm going to use a large number, a thousand different CBD water brands, yes. you know, and when you break it down, sorry to kind of, you know, peel the curtain back, not sorry. It's all CBD water. You know, there's not like a better CBD. I mean, there's definitely better CBD. It's high quality. And then there's crap products that don't test out at the right percentage. But if you're sourcing from like a high quality supplier, it's CBD in a bottle of water, essentially. And so at that point, it's the commodity you have to. Well, I would actually disagree with that. I do think that there's obviously like a lot of products that are like a dime a dozen. There's like a million of them. But when it comes to cannabis or CBD beverages in particular, it doesn't really, it doesn't matter as much where they're sourcing their CBD from to me as if it matters is do you have your emulsions right? 
Like there's only so many of these beverage companies that actually go to like a proper emulsion or nano emulsion. Yeah. 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 Like otherwise like the CBD or cannabis or whatever either floats on the top or it just sticks to the side of the can. And like to us, that's our number one question when we're talking to a beverage, we're like, who does your emulsions? Like, cause we know all the players, right? So we we know if you're skipping out on like the wrong things, right? That is something that's a fair point. That's absolutely a fair point because I do think depending on what the product is, depending on the packaging and specifically with canned beverages, there has been a lot of uh, external research being done saying if it's not emulsified properly, then it will stick. I didn't want to go that far, but yes, I think that was where the point was alluding to. You have a lot of people who want to put CBD in a bottle And then it's like, what is the quality of your product? Where do you source from? I think not so much right now in the industry that I'm seeing. Maybe you have a different opinion, but definitely two years ago when the industry first kind of opened from a CBD perspective, I saw a lot of full spectrum products saying no THC. And I think that the industry has rallied around that that's not accurate. Um, But I think you had a lot of brands who were like, yeah, it's CBD, it's full spectrum, but there's no THC. And it's just with such a disconnect to the consumer. So I imagine extrapolating that where you have such a nationally recognized brand like Recess now is at this point, obviously part, in fact, due to y'all's aid and investment in the company. But I think they've done a successful job. And I think that's where I'm resonating with, too. It's not just like getting into the industry, obviously, with having like a new, unique idea necessarily, but the branding really around it. So it sounds like Recess really had that brand put together as well as the quality of products that they were packaging together. Oh, for sure. And I don't know if anybody's ever had the opportunity to hear Ben Woody speak, but he is honestly, truly a genius. Everything he says, I'm like, wow, it's amazing. <laughs> I haven't, but I would love to talk to him next directly. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> Always make a plug for that. I guess let's kind of shift and position it. Let's say there's somebody in the audience who is a brand. You kind of touched on a little bit of it, but if someone is a brand what do you expect to see from them? Do you always expect to like, are they pitching you? Are you meeting, maybe you go to a cannabis conference or vice, you know, conference and you're patrolling the floor. Like, is it two ways? Is it more one way? And then when you interact with that brand, what does that brand need to kind of bring to you or have set up for you to even kind of qualify it? I'm basically trying to ask if I'm a brand in the audience and I would like to be considered for investment through your firm, what do I got to do to be considered? (laughs) Um, so I would say, I mean, I think my analysts would have, and my chief of staff would have the best answers on this because they take all the first meetings at our fund. But in order to get our attention, it usually requires a well-written email, right? Just be like, hi, Catherine, spell my name correctly. Just be like, we're really interested in potentially working with your fund. And like for these three reasons, right? Like whatever the reasons are that you want to work with us, like we'll take the meeting. Even if it's sometimes, even if it's not a vice company, I personally will take the meeting to the point where we actually, um, <laughs> I set up um, this guy with this girl. And not, they're not married, but they're co-founders now. <laughs> so like we've even like gone out of our way to make introductions and like help people think of what to do next, right? Like we are like, we're super collaborative firm if the person is a good person. And so is what I can say. But back to the pitching, if you do want to pitch us, um, in, email info at viceventures.com. And then one of us will get back to you as soon as humanly possible. I'm going to make a quick plug for anyone. I guess there's a comment section. We're going to be getting to those towards the end. I would love to open it up for people if they have questions so far to 
go leave us some comments. That way we can get to those in a little bit. But yeah, I think that's always just kind of good understanding, especially as the industry continues to evolve. Um, I think we're going to start seeing more. I mean, I'm a really big believer that we're just scratching the surface on cannabis. I mean, the lack of research that's been done in this industry and the amount of products and consumer fanfare that has been created is like such a chasm. It's like, wait, what's happening and how did people hear about these things? And then I'm sure going to trade shows, you're seeing all these new different types of, I mean, at least for my role, specifically cannabis products from vice ventures. Are you really dealing with mainly CPG or do you get into other applications? So for example, I saw like a, a CBD pillow is if that was something interesting, it's kind of comical at this point, but if, if that was something interesting to you, is that something that you would potentially uh, want to introduce into your portfolio or is it more like on the consumer package good side? Definitely more on the consumer package good side. One of my favorite investments actually is this nicotine gum. I think this shows exactly that's a harm reduction product from Juul or from any other vaping issues. But yeah, I mean, we definitely, we mostly do CPG for vices. Uh, we did invest in one platform that is a betting platform. So you can play sport like esports for money or video games for money basically uh but that's the only non cbg product that we've invested in today and it's not that we're not open to it it's it's just like i'm like you think of my background like i'm a brand investor right so like that's what i feel comfortable investing in like that's what i know really well i don't if you're if you're giving me a SaaS business like honestly i'm probably gonna have to do like a ton of googling right like to like how to like intelligently like think about this business so yeah, so we're, I mean, that's where a lot of our connections lie. Like that's where our expertise lies. As a firm, we also work exclusively um, with this brilliant creative agency that actually did recess. Uh, so we, all our brands get like pushed through there. <laughs> yeah, we're very hands-on for sure. Well, I think that's really cool for me and I'm sure listeners to understand too, is just, it sounds like, obviously there's a ton of different types of firms. There's a lot of different industries, specifically if you're interested in vice industries, obviously your firm seems to be like the best fit pertaining to this conversation. But um, it's always helpful. I think myself selfishly always included is like, I just don't even know what opportunities exist out there. Or if I have a brand or product, like how do you even get it in front of somebody or what, what can I do with it? And so I think it's always good to just, you know, ask the question, even if the answer is like, yeah, just email me. It's like, <laughs> wait, she said to just email her. Okay. Like get ready girl. Cause maybe your inbox is going to be flooded with some cool ideas. But yeah, I think it's, uh, it's exciting for me to understand too, for me, because I think another question I had, which you answered was how important is the brand development versus the conceptual idea when you're investing in a product? And it sounds like with recess being the example we've been kind of talking about, they were just a conceptual idea, but it was so yeah. powerful. It sounded like you liked the founder that that was enough of a selling point versus feeling like you had to have like your whole business plan and a pitch deck put together and like prototype product. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, we do want a product of some sort, right? We want to know like, because it reflects also on your thinking, right? If you're in your thought process, like, like which, which operational steps did you go to get this done, right? Like the, that's something we take very seriously. But yeah, I think brand is super, super important because I don't have to tell you, but like Americans will buy literally anything right? Like if it is branded well, it will sell very, very well. So we take brand incredibly seriously. We take brand messaging seriously. We take like PR very seriously with our companies. Like we actually pre like provide pre PR basically to like a lot of our companies in the beginning because that really can like make or break a band, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, it's like such a novel idea, but I think that's where from my background being in marketing and branding in particular, it's so, uh, 
it seems like common knowledge for someone like me, but that's where I started having these conversations through this podcast medium. It's like, most people are not thinking in that capacity. I think they think like, oh, I want to get into this industry. Oh, I have this really great idea for a product, but they don't package it. Like someone last night, they handed me a CBD energy shot, but by weight, the amount of CBD diluted had seven milligrams of THC. But the shot looked, or maybe you've seen this, it, it's pretty, I think it's a national brand. I'm not going to say who it is. It was just a funny thing that kind of came up and pertaining to this conversation. It looks like a gas station brand. And my friend handed it to me like, would you put this in your store? And I was kind of like, no fucking way. I would put that in my store. <laughs> like it doesn't, yeah. I don't, to me, sometimes it doesn't matter how great the quality of product is. I care about the quality of product, but if the branding doesn't match, and again, branding is a little subjective because there's a lot of people who... I'm going to go. All like, yeah, exactly. They like to shop where they want to shop. And so I just think as an industry, we're trying to fight that, you know, because it's unregulated, you can sell CBD products in gas stations. But if you obviously want to have maybe more national consumer base, you might want to consider having a nicely branded product that doesn't look like it would be sold in a gas station. So the things we've seen, I'm sure, but kind of on that, yeah. the question I have for you is how do you see Vice Ventures being a key, I guess, piece in helping legitimize cannabis. Because I think when it comes to branding, press, um, obviously having investment money is, is what allows you to kind of fuel a lot of that. Otherwise, you're me doing press and branding and retail and e-commerce all by yourself, which is doable. It's fun. <laughs> but if, you know, coming from your side of the house, I mean, I, I get asked this all the time, you know, kind of a flip side of the question is, is media. People are like, do you, why do you, do you like the media talking about cannabis or does it hurt? I'm like, well, hey, good or bad press is still press and it's helping push this conversation into the mainstream. So considering how you even started your businesses, because these vice clauses are very real and a lot of mainstream investing doesn't afford for the opportunity, but then here you are being like, not only are we going to do it, we're going to do it well. And then I see you investing in brands like recess recesses and helping push cannabis into the mainstream, getting picked up in Forbes and refinery 29 and all these great places. So I don't know if there was a specific question, but like, how does, how does that that role that you sit in help the industry? Yeah. So I think just looking even beyond cannabis, like every industry that we invest in out of Vice Ventures uh, are basically like one of our social missions is to eradicate stigmas around these topics, right? Because like, I mean, I grew up in a bar, right? So for me, alcohol was always like a way to support my family or like my dad to support me, right? Like that's honestly what I saw the job as. And for me personally and emotionally, when I was pitching this alcohol company to all these funds, the fact that so many of them were like, oh, we don't do alcohol. Like, it's terrible. Like, we don't do alcohol. Like, to me, I was like, wow, like, as a country, we have so much work to do, right? Because I don't, I mean, I don't know the, the stats behind it. I did at one point. But I do know that there's, like, obviously a drinking issue in America, right? Like, people drink every day. People drink all the time. Like, there's serious alcoholism. Yeah, especially with COVID. Like, there's serious alcoholism. And there's serious other drug abuse, right? And I just think if you're able to talk about, like, hey, like, I just got this great glass of wine. It's amazing. Or, like, hey, like... I love recess because I, it's replaced my, I don't know, like my five o'clock wine, right? Like whatever. I think that's super, super powerful, right? To get the conversation going around like a harm reduction angle. No, I think that's a very fair point. And I share the same excitement slash ownership of like those of us who operate in the space have to 
kind of lean into helping normalize it. And I think normalizing it by being loud and being uh, professional, but loud in the sense of like, hey, we're going to be risky and, and take a chance on these businesses, take a chance on ourselves by launching a fund in the space. Um, obviously, it's not just like cross your fingers, close your eyes and like jump, but it is a little bit like, I think people just don't really realize how uh, nebulous cannabis and, and therefore vice industries really are. And so it's exciting to want to get in and launch a brand and get funding. But obviously the flip side is then now we have a brand and now I have to get consumers <laughs> and now I have to educate them and I have to make sure that they want to pick my product on the shelf and not somebody else's product. And so those all have their own hurdles and attributes as well. So I think that's uh, that's just part of the game, isn't it? It's fun. It is fun. That's why we're working in this vice world, girl. I'm so excited. Quick break to say thank you to Restart CBD for sponsoring this podcast. Restart CBD is a brand my sisters and I founded in our hometown in Austin, Texas. We operate a retail location as well as an e-commerce store, and you can browse our wide range of CBD products at restartcbd.com. Again, thank you to Restart for allowing me the time and resources to put on To Be Blunt. I hope you'll check them out for your CBD needs. Let's go back to the episode. I'm going to turn it over. We're going to start asking or answering, I should say, some of these questions. I appreciate the people who have left some questions for us. Let's see. Uh, someone says, I love can wine. It's great for events and activities where glass isn't welcome. I think that's a really fair point. I think we're seeing a lot of, especially just like, I don't think vice is explicit, but I think uh, it's fun to see where these vice brands are pushing what is uh, acceptable when it comes to packaging. I know cannabis in general, there's a lot of heartache when it comes to packaging because a lot of that is dependent on the state. I know CBD to full on THC, there is some, a little bit more leniency on the CBD side, but uh, yeah, this thing is exciting too, just to see like where these industries disruptive are actually disrupting uh, some of the future things that we get to go through. What is a product that you haven't seen yet, but wish someone would make? Impossible to answer. It's impossible to see what I wish I could have seen, right? Especially if it doesn't already exist. Um, I would tell that person to dream big, go for it, figure out the product you want to start, and then email Info Advice Ventures. I'm going to answer that because I think I, I'm sure this is coming one day. What excites me the most about cannabis, and maybe this will get some people's inspiration juices flowing. You know, there's all these CBD oils. I'm sorry, probably recess takes the cake. There's enough CBD sparkling waters. We don't need any more. There's enough CBD edibles. I think getting into the terpene conversation though is really interesting for me. I imagine a day a consumer will be able to take a DNA test and this is kind of already somewhat there. They'll be able to take a DNA test and see what their DNA profile is. Maybe you can attribute certain ailments or family, you know, medical history. And then it will produce, hey, these terpenes, which for those of you who don't know, terpenes are natural, essentially aromas, flavors that add the effects of what cannabis is, but they're also found in things like pine trees and lemons, limonene, citronine, things like that. But they are very much active in cannabis. And I think we don't talk enough about them in this industry, that that's where I would see in the future is us being able to take these profiles. Someone walks into a store, takes a test online, and then they're produced, hey, here's these products with these certain cannabinoids, these certain terpenes that are specific to what your body needs. I don't know if that's one product or more just like a service opportunity, but that is the future that I would like to shop in. Specific cannabis products. 
Uh, so the next question is somebody says, are you investing in cannabis retail experiences? And if so, what are you looking for? And if not, what cannabis retail experience have you personally had? We don't invest in retail or real estate, to be honest. One, I think an amazing cannabis retail experience that I've had is at Sweet Flower on Melrose in Los Angeles. Um, I think they curate a phenomenal um, kind of selection of brands of cannabis brands. And then unlike a lot of other bud tenders that I've come across at Sweet Flower, they really know their stuff. So they make like very solid recommendations and they like know the differences between the brands and they're not just brands, right? So they're actual companies, right? I don't know. It, but Sweet Flower is just honestly, it's amazing. Everybody should go if you live if you're in LA. Yeah, I think the cannabis... Uh experience is another thing too, right? Because you have CBD, which can essentially be sold in Costco's and gas stations and CVS pharmacies and CBD dispensaries. But then when you're dealing with specifically high THC, anything over 0.3%, specifically coming from the marijuana plant, you're dealing with a a product that is only legal in certain states, right? And so purchasing those products has to happen within that state. And so I think people don't realize that like, let's say recess had THC in it. Recess would have to be manufactured in California as a legal state, as well as be manufactured in Washington as a legal state. You could not take it by truck essentially, or ship it like you would current products. And so I think uh, that side, the, the full on THC side is an interesting one because it kind of limits you in the state, but it's also an exciting opportunity because some of those brands are already expanding across the state. Like I just saw Wana Brands has now distribution. They're like a top edible company um, coming out of Colorado. They're in California. They just expanded to Canada and essentially they have manufacturers set up in each of their different markets that allows them to operate that way. Uh, let's see another question. How do you address the controversial position that CBD is fairy dust and doesn't do what it claims? I would say probably, uh, I would very much recommend that that person get educated on CBD before they make statements like that. Um, I would also say that they, there's a new bill coming out, um, in the house that basically says what CBD can and can't do. So if you're one of those people that don't believe in the power of it, I would really recommend that you get educated. Yeah. I think just to add to that, there, there are a lot of people who claim that it will do a lot of things that it actually won't do. So I agree with Catherine and getting educated, figuring out what products work for your body as well? I think the best way personally to explore CBD is to try it and obviously know what you're getting into, but in terms of cannabis compared to other types of vices, perhaps like alcohol, obviously there's a lot of reports that you can overdose on alcohol and have some liver damage. I think the reports are still out on cannabis, so definitely take it easy, but I think the best way to explore what would work or wouldn't work is to actually put it in your body and just keep track of, okay, I drank this recess. It's 10 milligrams of CBD. How did 10 milligrams make me feel versus when I took 10 milligrams of this other product. If you're just consuming products willy nilly and you don't have any sort of goalposts for what is quality or what are milligrams or what is isolate for versus full spectrum, I'll also make another pitch. You can, my Instagram is right there to be blunt pod. You can DM me. I uh, like Mark intro me. I'm very knowledgeable about cannabis and CBD education. So happy to always have those conversations offline. Um, somebody did ask if the fund is closed or if you're still raising money, if you'd like to answer that. Yeah, we're definitely still raising money. We're doing uh, one last fundraising push as we got super lucky that almost 100% of our LPs wanted to put more money in. So we were able to extend our fundraising window. Anybody that's interested in investing, please feel free to email uh, Input Vice Ventures and we take it on one by one basis. 
This is another really good question. Uh, how does your fund actively destigmatize societal notions surrounding cannabis and alcohol? We believe in the power of PR and we as a fund have gotten a lot of PR and we've talked a lot about how we're hoping that Vice Ventures itself, just the name Vice Ventures, right? Like gets people thinking about like, what is a vice and like, why is this a vice? And like, why aren't people allowed to invest in these companies early on, especially if they are a harm reduction agent, right? So like what was going on before? So that's kind of like what we invest in. And that's why we, why we have a PR team and we've had them for two years and all our companies work with them because we think it's also adding a social good as well as helping people be aware of the product. Yeah, I'll just echo that too. I think that is a big driver that I've seen. Obviously, small brands like myself, I secure a lot of press for us, but it's certainly not at the scale that I've seen Recess and other brands in the space go secure. And I do think kind of tying on to the comment that I made earlier, I think it's important for these bigger brands to go get some of these investments so that they can bring it into the media in that capacity to help further normalize and bring awareness and bring education to people who otherwise wouldn't have that product put in front of them. So I think there's a lot that we can all learn in the industry as we're kind of pushing everything forward. So what is the most bizarre vice product you've looked at? Um, definitely sex dolls that self-lubricate and the hair grows themselves. And they have, you so you can buy the body. So this is the most interesting company I think I've seen in the entirety of vice. So you buy, you buy the body, the body's $5,000. Then you buy the head and the head has AI and ML, like machine learning, whatever. So it develops a personality with you. So you talk with the doll and you can switch heads and bodies. And people like the average person who buys this, they buy five of them. So it's like, and it's, it hasn't even, it hasn't lost internationally yet. It's just in the US. Like it is a truly special, special business. I was going to allude, maybe it's an international business. One's going to hit America, but you just flipped that one on its head, girl. Yeah. Literally. Talk about it overcoming stigmas there, honey. That's right. Oh my gosh. Well, more to come. Um, okay. Last question. Uh, we talked about trends and opportunities in cannabis, alcohol, sex. Are there any emerging markets you're seeing with vices that we haven't, you know, outlined as the major ones? Yeah. So I guess we are very bullish right now on nicotine alternatives, just because if you've actually seen the data over the past 60 years, nicotine, I mean, uh, tobacco use has literally just gone like this, right? And it's like just kind of died out. Like think of how many people that you know smoke, right? Almost nobody. I don't know anybody that smokes cigarettes. Anyway, and but then if you look at the nicotine trend, nicotine is just going up, right? Like we have a whole new generation of nicotine users for the first time who are going to want to either stop using nicotine, right? Or are going to want to transfer their nicotine addiction to something that's much less harmful. So we are very excited about all the nicotine alternatives that are coming out that are both uh, smoking cessation products and recreational products. Thank you again to the VC Summit for initially having me at your summit to interview Catherine. And I'm so grateful I was able to repurpose this conversation for the podcast because I think investing is something that most brands in the space are curious about, but aren't really sure how to go about it, if investment is the right move for them and so on. So I hope this gave you some insight into vice clauses and how you can think of positioning your business if you choose to pursue a VC funding route. I know Catherine and her team are always looking for new businesses to invest in. And if you think you have a real differentiating winner, I encourage you to reach out to her. And if you have questions about marketing your Canner brand or want a second set of eyes, I'm also always available to share more of my expertise. And I encourage you to connect with me on social media, either through the show at to be blunt pod or my personal Instagram at the shade of Tarabi. 
Thanks again and see you next week for another episode. And by the way, if you enjoyed this episode, please head to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. Thanks so much. Have a great one. Love this episode of To Be Blunt? Be sure to visit theshadatarabi.com slash tobeblunt for more ways to connect. New episodes come out on Mondays. And for more behind the scenes, follow along on Instagram at theshadatarabi.com. 